black swans and fresh strategy. Hello, my name is Harry Miewski and I operate freshstrategy.com.au. This is my second podcast in a series designed to help you on your strategy and strategy plan journey. The second podcast is entitled Black Swans and Fresh Strategy. Why I look from the outside and from the known truth is important. This podcast still focuses on the preliminary thoughts prior to strategy development. It's about breaking out of the thought bubbles to create fresh strategy. Almost everyone has heard of a black swan event as a widely held belief that is subsequently and abruptly disproven, an impossibility come to life. There are summaries of the origins of the term in Wikipedia and also Grammarphobia. Initially, the black swan metaphor had a very different meaning to the contemporary thought. The web sources that I mentioned talk about Roman origins of the term in the second century by the poet Juvenal. He used the description of a wife, a wife with all the right qualities, looks, charm, money, fertility and ancestry, as a rare bird on earth and similar to a black swan. His perception, like Romans in general, was that all swans were white and a black one an impossibility. And so maybe, in his own words, a perfect wife was an impossibility. The phrase black swan took hold in the English language as seen in 14th century texts, again reinforcing an impossibility. Possibly in other languages too, the phrase of a black swan for an impossible event took hold. In any case, there were no historical European records of anyone ever having seen a black swan, and the white swans of Europe and the known world were so magnificently white. Just imagine the shock of the Dutch sailors, led by Willem de Vlamen in 1697 when exploring what is now known as Western Australia. When the explorers came across flocks of black swans in what they named the Swan River. This is where the city of Perth in Western Australia is located today. The same stately birds as those in Europe, but black, not white. They were confronted with a sight they thought impossible. Their attempts to take back examples to Europe didn't work as the birds died on the way, but I assume that they did bring at least a painting or a dead bird proof. Anyway, their journey revealed the existence of black swans to the Europeans. The term black swan subsequently became known as a widely held belief, perceived impossibility that was later disproven. It was a logical fallacy brought to life. Much later, an author called Nassim Taleb in the 20th century used the term to describe financial events not imaginable from the orthodoxy and attributed many abrupt discoveries in science and events that were unimaginable as black swan events beyond normal logical thought. The initial black swan event depended on an unseen geography In strategy development, an approach to create a fresh strategy may be needed to expose thoughts outside of the known geographies in which we live and experience. 
Being the first with a black swan may be very useful, but at least recognizing that they may in fact exist may have a lot of relevance in strategy and an open mind is important. We can glean some interesting perspectives from exploring the black swan story a little deeper from a non-European perspective. For the indigenous peoples of Australia, black swans were the only swans. A white swan event would have been startling for them if they'd had a European type mindset. But maybe not quite. For when the black swan extends its wings, a few white feathers are seen. They may have thought that white swans were not an impossibility. Indeed, dreamtime stories of the indigenous people in very different parts of Australia relate to black swans in the beginning being white swans. Even though there are no white swans in Australia, wild ones at least. In one story in Wikipedia, in Australian Aboriginal mythology, Waruna is a culture hero. The dreamtime story of the black swan tells how two brothers were turned into white swans so they could help an attack party during a raid for weapons. It is said that Waruna used a large gubara or crystal stone to transform the men. After the raid, eagle hawks attacked the white swans and tore feathers from the birds. Crows, who were the enemies of the eagle hawks, came to the aid of the brothers and gave the featherless swans their own black feathers. The black swans then came into existence. The black swan red beak is said to be the blood of the attacked brothers, which stayed there forever. There are many variations of the story, all of which seem to emphasize the good deeds of the crows and providing black feathers to the white swans. I don't know why the indigenous people started the story with a white swan. Clearly though, they were more accepting of multicolored possibilities of swans other than black, and so not so judgmental as the European counter view of swans where non-white ones were an impossibility. Maybe it was the few white feathers in the native birds. In strategy development, maybe we won't recognize a black swan ex except in retrospect. But just maybe there will be some feathers of a different color to give us some clues of different ways of thinking. I want to delve a little more into the events leading up to the European discovery of the black swan because it may give us some clues about thinking of the time and lessons for current day strategy development. In particular, a look at the Dutch discoverers from a European perspective of what is now known as Australia. The Dutch East India Company and its predecessors were major sponsors of voyages of discovery and trade in the Far East and what is now Australia. The first touch is with William Jansoon, William Jans, who was in the service of the Oud Company, one of the predecessors of the Dutch East India Company. On the 26th of February 1606, Jansoon landed at the Pennyfather River on the western shore of Cape York, in what is now the state of Queensland in Australia. This is the first recorded European landfall on the Australian continent. He didn't explore enough to work out the existence of Australia as an island continent, thinking he was charting part of the island of New Guinea. 
By some quirk of nature, Cape York, of all places in Australia, is the only park without black swans. So it was hardly surprising that he was not a myth buster. In terms of fresh strategy, some thoughts are that whilst we may have details about a small park, the wider significance is also important for context. I wonder whether Willem would have thought in retrospect if he had seen the context of Australia as charted by later explorers, which included Captain James Cook, who charted the East Coast, confirming its island continent status. The next Dutch explorer was Dirk Hartog. On 25th of October 1616, Hartog and crew came unexpectedly upon various islands on the 26th latitude south. He found the islands uninhabited and he made landfall at an island off the coast of Shark Bay, Western Australia, which is now called Dirk Hartog Island after him. His was the second recorded European expedition to land on the Australian continent, but the first to do so on the Western coastline. He didn't record any sighting of black swans, even though they are present in Shark Bay. The next recorded Dutch venture did in fact list the observation of a black swan, if obliquely. On July 5th, 1636, Antony Cayenne, skipper of the Dutch ship Banda, came near Bernier Island, Western Australia. He reported two stately birds as large swans, which had orange-yellow bills and were almost half a yard long. They were in fact black swans. The next recorded Dutch venture did in fact list the observation of a black swan, if obliquely. On July 5, 1636, Anthony Cain, skipper of the Dutch ship Banda, came near Bernier Island, Western Australia. He reported two stately birds as large as swans, which had orange-yellow bills and were almost half a yard long. They were in fact black swans. But notification of the observation did not produce a widespread knowledge in Europe of the existence of black swans, perhaps because they were not in fact recorded in his diaries as being swans at all. Getting the messaging right is important in so many ways, including strategy development. The Dutch East India Company commissioned Abel Tasman in 1644 to discover lands in the Southern Hemisphere, and one of his voyages plotted the cost coastline of the northern part of Western Australia. He labelled the land New Holland, although it bore no resemblance to the temperate green European country. There was no mention of black swans in his two Australian journeys, even though we know today that black swans are present in the areas he visited. Indeed, the Dutch East India Trading Company was disappointed with Tasman in that he did not fully explore the lands that he found. The company indicated that they would use other explorers more with a keener sense of exploration and further trips and not Tasman. Tasman had ticked the box of high-level discovery and moved on. In strategy development, ticking the box without sufficient exploration may mean that things get missed, especially the things that we're not expecting. And back to the start of that story, Willem de Vlam in 1697. 
when exploring what is now known as Western Australia when they came across a flock of black swans, the same stately birds as those in Europe, but black. They were confronted with a sight they thought impossible. It excited them. Their attempts to take examples back to Europe didn't work as the birds died. But I assume that they did bring at least a painting or a dead bird. The learnings I take from this are, firstly, that they were indeed observant. They understood what they'd observed as black swans and they wanted to furnish proof of the black swan as an impossibility. Their reports took off as a discovery and reference back to black swans, for example, were mentioned in letters of the Royal Society in England in October 1698 from Mr. Witsen, Burgermeister of Amsterdam. So there was dissemination of the knowledge that black swans actually existed. Today there is much discussion and debate about the black swan paradox, famously described and illuminated by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, as described in Wikipedia. His 2007 book, The Black Swan, extended the metaphor to many events and occurrences that were once thought impossible but actually happened. Taleb asserts that a black swan event is an outlier, as it lies outside the realm of regular expectations, because nothing in the past can convincingly point to its possibility. Secondly, he said that it carries an extreme impact. Third, in spite of its outlier status, he says, human nature makes us con concoct explanations for its occurrence after the fact, making it explainable and predictable. Where does this lead us in strategy development? Firstly, the Dutch stories are intriguing and gives us clues to discovery and the modern twist and application of the change black swan metaphor. Strategy development is not about finding black swans, but it's, not about, it's about not missing them if they do exist. The not missing viewpoint sets up some prerequisites from fresh strategy that you can hear from the stories of the various Dutch explorers. Be an explorer and be prepared to discover. Think of being at the right place at the right time. Not all parts of Australia had black swans. Look for the wider context of a narrow point of view to put it into perspective. They didn't know that Australia was an island. Call a black swan a black swan if it is one. Don't call it something else and have an evidence-based approach for a change in thought. Many organizations are truly trapped in their own thought bubbles, which is comforting and reinforces singular ways of thinking. I wonder what many organizations would do if they were in fact confronted by a black swan in the 17th century. How many would not notice it? Call it something else or turn and change to the new previously unimaginable reality. If a black swan intrigues you in terms of thought processes, then drop me a line through the contact section of Fresh Strategy website, freshstrategy.com.au. If not, maybe give serious consideration anyway into developing strategy with an outsider influence, just to test and stimulate thoughts. 
I can see freshstrategy.com.au not as a textbook consultancy developed from a business school curriculum, but as a supportive voice molded by experience, fine-tuned by analysis and embedded in reality. Thank you for listening to this second Fresh Strategy podcast by me, Harry Miefsky. I acknowledge the background music is from uh, Winking Fox Music from Pixabay and the people at Audacity for providing the open source software for the recording of this podcast. Thank you.